not be driven by fear into an age of unreason. Oh my God, guys, listen up. I have an announcement to make. Did you guys know that I'm like the number one Google search last week? It could be the stuff of history, however, one way or the other. Okay, is Jessica Simpson here yet? And to those critics who are so pessimistic about our economy, I say, don't be economic girly man. And you'll never have to pour or measure detergent again. Can we, can we all get along? Karen, horror death. Film at 11. How many sides does a triangle have? Damn, four. There's no side. One. Last week. Hello, Brain Trust. It's me, Ben Glebe. Alyssa Milano is my guest today. The great Alyssa Milano. You know her from Who's the Boss? And then a million other things over the course of her life, because she was a kid then. She'll be here shortly. We discussed so much. I just recorded the interview, the conversation with her. Not really an interview. I don't consider them interviews. I consider them just hangs. You know what I mean? Why do I say hangs so weird? I don't know. The point is, she's fantastic. It was fun. And a little bit funny, but also very interesting and engaging. And I asked her some personal questions that you may have not heard her speak about before. And um, we talk some politics, a lot of politics. And we talk about just the journey that is life and our current place in the world. Plus, of course, Twitter answers and the Thunder Round. Uh, very interesting question, I think, this week on the Twitter answers. But before we get... To all of that, of course, we always start with the biggest story of the week. Shocking news. Joe Biden got a Rolex? The fuck is this? The fuck is that kind of move? How are you going to be relatable, bro? This is the big controversy now that the Republicans are trying to start. This at least feels somewhat like normal life again, where we have a normal president who's a decent human trying to make things better, and the Republicans are immediately trying to find scandals in every damn thing possible. He's got a nice watch. The man's 164 years old. He doesn't deserve a good watch. He's the president. He can have a good watch. Are you really making claims, as they actually really are, that he's unrelatable now because he has a fancy watch? Your last president owned towers and golden toilets and fake robot wives, and all kinds of elaborate, elaborate stuff. State companies, I mean, come on. You're really making the argument that he can't have a watch. Since we last gathered, we have a new president, by the way. It's the guy with the watch, the watch scandal, huge breaking watch scandal. Joe Biden has been inaugurated. It was a beautiful ceremony, despite there being no people there. It was still the biggest Crowd in inauguration history. That's a fact. That we do know. Definitely bigger than Trump's. God, it was so great not having him on Twitter. We talk about that with Alyssa in a moment. Um, it was just beautiful. It was nice. It was normal. J-Lo sang. Katy Perry sang at the party that night. And there was a bunch of fireworks. She sang her song, obviously, that she's known uh, for that relates to that, which is California Girls Licking Popsicle. We'll lick your popsicle. They'll melt your, they'll melt your popsicle. I don't really know how the song goes, but I do know it involves popsicles and fireworks. My Katy Perry knowledge is lacking, and it could be better. Um, I found an irony this week that 
all of the people who protest wearing masks, who then stormed our capital because masks take away your freedom, many of them are now in jail. And because they didn't wear a mask, they lost their freedom because we could easily identify them. Isn't that nice? If they'd worn a mask, they could have prevented themselves from being in jail. Oh, and also stopped the spread of this insane pandemic. So keep that in mind. You might end up in jail. So actually, specifically, we could say that not wearing a mask takes away your freedom in many instances. We got to reverse the psychology on these people who don't understand what science is. Science is a good thing. I don't know if you're aware of it. It's a thing that I've been aware of for a very long time, and I believe in it on account of the scientific method and evidence and all that good stuff. Uh, Trump was impeached again, of course, right before, a couple weeks before Biden got in F, about one week before Biden got in office. And uh, his trial's coming up. We'll talk about that with Alyssa as well. Um, double impeachment. The only president in history to have that experience. So good for you, buddy. You're really standing out as a real go-getter if you're, the thing you're going to get is impeachments. So what a maroon. Uh, ten Republicans voted for it, by the way, which is fantastic. Finally, some Republicans. I mean, 197 in the House voted against it, but 10 voted for it. Last time, zero voted for it. So that's progress. That's marginal, slow, glacial speed progress. But I'll take it. I also just had a realization that I wanted to share this week is that really anybody who's still supporting Trump, you are a white supremacist pretty much for sure. Because look at what you stand for and what you don't stand for. Look at it under just the prism of police. When Black Lives Matter had this huge moment during this crazy quarantined year and we were all protesting in the streets just to acknowledge that black people matter that their lives matter and people spring up as they have along the whole blm movement saying blue lives are what matter blue lives police lives are what matter all lives matter or police lives matter just can't say black lives matter but they're so all about the police well are they though because your own people mostly white not believing in Black Lives Matter, not believing in fact, science, or law, or common sense, stormed the Capitol, and they killed a police officer, incredibly tragically. Where were the protests about that? Where were all of you Trumpers taking to the streets, saying blue lives matter, if that's a hard and fast rule with your American flag with a blue stripe on it, if that's what you truly care about, these blue lives, one of your own, Killed police. Did you turn on them? Did you turn on QAnon? Did you turn on those factions? Did you turn on those rioters? Did you say, this is no longer a movement I'm, I'm associated with? No, you were quiet. You were silent. Sure, maybe privately or when asked, you said, oh, how terrible what happened at the Capitol. But you didn't march about it. How much do those lives matter to you? They don't. So when you say blue lives matter in response to black lives matter, it just proves all you mean is you don't think black lives matter. That means you're a racist. That means you're a white supremacist. It means you think you're better than other people. And you're not. You're obviously empirically far worse on account of you don't think humans are the same. So go fuck yourself. There's that. I mean, the stakes are very real here. It's why I get frustrated about it. If they weren't real, if I was getting frustrated about imaginary stakes, sure. That would be silly of me. And by the way, now I'm hungry for steaks. That's a side note. I ordered in Outback Steakhouse last night, and the steaks were amazing. Had to reheat them. The Bloomin' Onion didn't reheat as well, popped in the air fryer, came back to life. I digress, and I didn't need to share any of that, but I like to share my life, the personal struggles I go through. 
I'm going to try to infuse humor, obviously, because I'm a comedian, first of all, and secondly, because we need it to get through these crazy times, because the, the stakes of this is very, very real. We get into it in great detail with Alyssa in a little bit, but, I mean, there was even a plot to assassinate members of Congress ahead of Biden's inauguration that, thank God, didn't come th- true, but there were... Plots also for attacks on all 50 of our state capitals, thankfully, were were thwarted and were reported, and so therefore they didn't happen. But they could have. This is the kind of, we don't hear this kind of chatter normally. Normally, aren't threats to encircle all of our lawmakers in Washington so they can't escape and assassinate them. And that's what gets unleashed when you don't have hard lines in the sand. So if I may just take a minute to speak on this issue before I bring on my guest... And also have some shout-outs to our fantastic supporters on Patreon in a moment, too. But when society loses its values, it ceases to make sense. And then nothing but chaos can ensue. Which is why we must, right now, nuke the filibuster. Get rid of all big money in politics, finally, all of it, and throw out any seditionists who knowingly and in bad faith undermined our free and fair elections and actively sowed insurrection against our government. Sedition. It's arguably treason as well, as what happened certainly gave comfort to our enemies. These crimes, FYI, if you are aware of how crimes work, are punishable by never serving in office again, jail time up to 20 years, and, oh, FYI, we hang people for treason. That's not bold to say, even. That's just in our Constitution and United States Code of Law, 18 U.S. Code, chapters 2381 to 2384. It's in black and white. And at the very obvious least, we get these people the fuck out of our government now. The people that supported this? No more two sets of rules, one for the rich and powerful, who actually cause almost all of the big problems, and one for the rest of us? No more of that shit. You cannot legally, you, 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 you cannot, excuse me, you cannot logically call the insurrectionists terrorists, but not see their leaders and instigators as terrorists also. Bin Laden himself didn't fly the planes, but he was responsible for 9-11. Trump himself didn't break the windows or kill a police officer with a fire extinguisher, but he is responsible for 1-6. And Cruz, Hawley, Green, Gomert, Bobert, and all these other ridiculous names were accomplices. Bobert tweeted out Pelosi's movements during the attack on our Capitol, even after being told not to tell anybody of the whereabouts of our lawmakers, and tweeted that morning before that, today is 1776. That's literally calling for a violent revolution against our government. And to the coward Democrats, what else do you need to step up finally, strongly, boldly, aggressively, Schumer, Pelosi, call things plainly and strongly what they are and punish them as such? These are not equally valid sides. People actively trying to upend our society based on conspiracy theories and a reckless grab for power no longer should be treated as colleagues or even as Americans. They are traitors. Enough is enough. President Biden, if you want unity, 
Unite our nation behind the great, obvious, and necessary cause of us collectively, together, standing against those who wish to see our undoing. That one should be easy. We are running out of time to put our foot in, to put, to put our foot down and stand for what is right and firmly against what is wrong. So look at your fancy watch and see the seconds ticking away. This is no joke. The more important people to crack down on and root out are not the foot soldiers of the attack on our democracy, but the organizers, obviously, the inciters, those who made the call to action. And clearly they are far more guilty than some who just got swept through the open doors, as opposed to those who had more of a plan and a nefarious purpose to go in there and kidnap lawmakers and kill lawmakers and hang Mike Pence as they shouted. Both are crimes, but the difference in scale is immense, and you know that. The organizers are far more responsible. McConnell, this is your chance to purge the thorns in your side as well of Trump, Cruz, and other extremists who get in the way of your priorities too. Take these fools out. Congress being broken is bad enough, but I will not stand by and watch you render our Constitution meaningless. Those who aided and abetted a bloody and violent coup attempt must plain and simple be treated as our Constitution dictates, or the document becomes meaningless, and you can never again claim to care about it. What kind of nation are we? What kind of people are we? This is your moment of truth. Did you stand up for the fabric of our democracy, or did you hide from the moment like a coward? Make your legacy now. The Bachelor is a shit show this season. My goodness, Queen Victoria, you thought that was as crazy as it was going to get? This woman calling herself a queen and saying in a very drunk, strange, seemingly seemingly drugged that way, I'm going to marry him, I'm the queen, he'll be my king. You thought that was it. But this week, Sarah caused quite a lot of drama. If you haven't figured it out, The Bachelor is one of my few escapes into escapism these days. Sarah really had a good connection with The Bachelor, whose name I can't remember right now. Peter, maybe? Thomas? Nobody cares. But she couldn't handle seeing him on dates with other girls. She interrupted several of them, which made them very angry. Queen got mad. Queen was like, that's my move. And Sarah left the show. Left the show. Good for her for standing up for what she believes in, which is her man she likes not making out with everybody else in the world. So you gotta respect that. Alyssa, Milano, in two minutes, but quick. First, some shout-outs to the incredibly generous patrons who have been supporting this podcast and the Glebe Off the Top shows and all the things I've been doing by supporting me at patreon.com slash Glebe. Mayor Emeritus, Jessica Mad Mama Kybel, the Lindsey Brown Band, Michelle and Alex Pat Zajac. Zajac? Pat Zajac Zajac? Maybe a better way to say that. Michelle and Alex, Pat Sajak, Zajak. Beck, Becky, Becca, Linwood, Warden. Creep Bree, Brianna, Bafford, Mobile. Brian Slinky Slivka, Courtney Thorne Smith from Melrose Place, and according to Jim. That's her name, according to Jim. Mayor Emeritus Debs, Lettuce Summoner Livingston. Gabrielle Mad Magazine Mag. Or Gabrielle Magazine Cover Mag. Take your pick. 
I like to kind of give you options sometimes, Gabrielle. Jeanette, Indeed, Majid, John Wayne Duggan, Caitlin Greer, That Saved Christmas, Kayla, You Got Me On My Knees, Gibson Guitars, Vincent Bowie Tie, Pasta Primavera, Susie Figgy Pudding, but actually Tasty Figgy Pudding, Fig, Shannon Pumpkin Burke Aquarium, and of course, Rita Riri O'Donnell. Thank you all for your support. It means so much. If any of you would like to join the group that is supporting all the things I've been doing and bringing to you, I give you a ton of great perks. Free tickets to some of my shows, access to my VIP meet and greets after they happen, live access to them, special VIP video hangs with our patrons, one-on-one video chats, depending on what tier you're at. You can get letters personally signed from me, a Gleep Squad, official Brain Trust membership card, super dope. The design is almost finished. New logo almost finished. Uh, a ton of cool stuff. There's even a tier where I fly to you and perform live stand-up for you or give you virtual shows. Only one of those left at that tier. A lot of good stuff at patreon.com slash Glebe. And coming up every Saturday is my Glebe Off the Top crowd work and improvised madness show. I've been doing it weekly now. I'll keep doing that. It's an absolute blast. We elect a mayor every time. That's why you heard about two former mayors right there in my shout-outs. It's an absolutely weird, wild, fun, loose, light time. So if you need some laughter, devoid of politics, this podcast is where I break down the week in a serious slash obviously incredibly funny way. We all know that. But then we just let it loose on the weekends, on Saturdays, and do the show. Tickets at NowhereTime.com. I'm also doing my first headline set of my hour that I'll be touring with when life opens back up. Uh, some of the stuff I already had that I've been honing in different ways and a ton of new material I've been writing. I'm doing a bunch of sets, popping into different shows to get it ready for February 26th. Tickets also available there. And lastly, I will be doing a, a special Valentine's Day show at Nowhere Comedy Club on Zoom virtually called Undercover Lover. I'll be hosting a kind of a twist on the old dating game concept where you don't see or know who you're talking to because it's face filters of suitors trying to gain your attention. Will there be a Queen Victoria? Will there be a Sarah? Who knows? But you can participate, either watch the fun go down, or you can be a contestant by emailing undercoverlover.show at gmail.com, and we will send you the questionnaire and request for a video, or you can just come and enjoy the madness. Tickets at nowheretime.com. On that note, it's time for my guest, whose Twitter handle, if you want to tweet along with us, is at Alyssa, A-L-Y-S-S-A, underscore Milano, M-I-L-A-N-O. Alyssa Milano, you know, is an actress, producer, activist, and former singer. I didn't even know that fact. She's known for her roles as Samantha Michelli in the classic Who's the Boss? Jennifer Mancini in Melrose Place, Phoebe Hallowell in Charmed, Billy Cunningham in My Name is Earl, Savannah Savvy Davis in Mistresses, Renata Murphy in Wet Hot American Summer 10 Years Later, and Coralie Armstrong in Insatiable on Netflix. Plus, of course, tons of movies. And as a political activist, she has been involved heavily in more causes than you can count. She also executive produced the Telethon for America with me this year. And maybe most notably, she produced and starred in a teen workout video called Teen Steam. So without further ado, and I think I already said further ado already, and I did some more doing, but now the doing is done. 
Alyssa Milano. Last week on Earth. I am joined now by my dear friend Alyssa Milano. How are you, Alyssa? I'm doing pretty well. How are you doing? I am fantastic, uh, considering, you know, Good. the world crumbling. Yeah, it feels like it's being built a little bit back up, though, doesn't it? It does. It does indeed. I mean, it's in- insane how much, and this this doesn't speak negatively on the Biden administration as much as it does very negatively on the Trump administration. Even though it's so wonderful to have Biden in office, it feels much better just to have Trump off Twitter. I mean, my husband and I were talking about that just last night, just the the comfort of not being terrified of what he was going to tweet or just that anxiety just sort of looming over, you know, our, our world, um, you know, because obviously it didn't just affect us. It, it affected everyone internationally. Yeah. And. I love the idea that he is stewing about stuff and can't talk about it. He can't come out and say anything, which is just fantastic. Um, I mean, what must that be like to be in his circle right now? His walls definitely have scribbles all over the walls. I mean, it's got to be so chaotic. (laughs) If he's actually even seeing anyone, I don't even – he might just be locked you know, in in Mar-a-Lago, in some like suite with a with a gold toilet, getting McDonald's for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. No faster way to devalue gold than Donald Trump. <laughs> it's so true. Donald Trump sitting on you. Just, it's so true. <laughs> Holy Lord! So this is where we find ourselves as a planet, and we'll get to a lot of of the events of the week in a moment, but I want to start a little bit more broadly, a little bit more personal if I can, and let's let people get to know you a little bit more. Um, tell me firstly, what way back, what made you want to go into entertainment? What made you want to be an actor? Oh, I don't even remember that far back. I was, <laughs> I was seven when I, when I started this. Um, but uh, I do remember that I went to see the play Annie for my sixth birthday, and I said, which is just my daughter's age now. And I said to my parents, "I could do that." Um, and be an then, orphan. Like, They're a like, year you, and a half. like you have parents, please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, I meant just be on stage and perform. And um, a year and a half later, I I wound up. Uh, you know, showing up for an open Annie audition with my babysitter at the time. And there were 1,500 kids there and four were picked. And I was one of the four. So that was basically it. And then we got off the road and I was like, I don't know, maybe almost, I was nine. And um, and that was going to be it for us because I didn't have an agent or anything like that. And then I, I basically was discovered by by an agent who um sent me in on an audition for a show called you're the boss um (laughs) one of my favorites that's what it was called it's that was that's what it was called uh, in the beginning that was the working title um still not telling you who's the boss still they don't answer the question still yeah still not 
telling you who's the boss. And so I, um, I got that, I got that role out of, out of New York and we shot the pilot in Los Angeles when I was 10. The series was picked up when I was 11 for the first season, which we were up against family ties. So needless to say, we were in the bottom of the ratings. Um, Every single week. Uh, but this was actually a time when if a network believed in a show, they would find the right, right time slot for it. We and had an attention so span as a society. Us. Yeah. Well, there were only three networks at the time. Mm-hmm. So I guess they could do that. This was even before Fox. So, um, so yeah. So they found the right time slot for us, which this is so long ago. We were on after happy days what <laughs> yes. wow which also i react a little bit extra there just because i'm one of the dumbest people in the world and i i believed until just a handful of years ago that happy days was actually shot in the 50s <laughs> until somebody explained to me what i refer to as the scott bayo no, that- conundrum which was someone said to me really ben how old is scott bayo in Happy days. I'm like, I don't know, 17. And they're like, how old is he right now on Charles in Charge? I'm like, 25. And they're like, 40 years of history passed? And Scott Bay only aged four years? And then I felt yeah. stupid. Well, uh, that would make me 100 if our show started. At, <laughs> well, you look amazing at, at for 100. T- oh, thank you. You're very welcome. Uh, no. So, so, yeah. So then we became a top 10 show, and then we became the number one show. And at that time... We were – it was like 35 million viewers a week Woo! because, again, there was – you know, that's what you get for the Super Bowl now. But, again, because there were only three networks, people – you know, if you were the top show, everyone was watching that show. The Super Bowl and my only so, fans about equal with the 35 million people yes, tuning in. Right. Um. So what was it like? Being and we'll move out of childhood in a second, but what was it like going from just being a regular girl and suddenly thirty five yeah. million people are watching you and that scrutiny and that just complete change of life? What's going through your head? Was were there struggles? Was it all Oh yeah. It was horrible. In what way? It was horrible. I mean and the experience wasn't horrible. I don't I don't wanna take anything away from the experience of shooting who's the boss and the amazing cast that we had that was incredibly supportive and lovely but just to go from completely anonymous to then like starting puberty and being recognized in public and feeling like I had no privacy at all to sort of you know make make mistakes like every other teenager did um or does uh it was it was really it was really hard and I also had this weird this weird like success guilt where it didn't really make sense to me why I I was like successful at such a young age and all my friends that I had left back in Staten Island were were you know still going to school and just being normal do you think that- and then there was also well, a lot of like the grass is always greener sure. so I, I was always wondering what like a real actual life is like a real child a real childhood felt like mm-hmm. that makes sense. Do you think that's part of what started making you care about the world? Like a lot of child stars like go nuts and don't become good people, but you made that that guilt made you care about like, well, what about how much 
less other people have in other ways or is it unrelated you think well i think it is i think it is re- related but not in hindsight it's related like my i got into activism because um my dear friend was a little boy named Ryan White when i was a teenager and this was uh he was hiv positive we all remember this was during him. the 80s when hiv aids was there was so much stigma attached to it and you know everyone of course much like the gop does now everything was very fear based and they scared people um about about this this deadly virus and uh ryan was such an extraordinary kid he was kicked out of school um because I remember that. the superintendent thought that you know he could give hiv aids from casual contact and he fought for the right to go back to school and then he spoke in front of congress and he and i became friends and um he asked me if i would go on tv with him and kiss him. I remember you kissed him. That, I was going to say, yeah, to prove that you couldn't get HIV/AIDS from casual contact, and that moment really changed my life because I realized um, what that responsibility was to have a platform. Of course, we didn't call it platforms back then, but <laughs> also it gave it such incredible purpose. Right? I I was like, oh, this is why I was, I was chosen um and so that changed my life and it was i was 15 years old and as a teenager i mean i i went to washington and lobbied for physical education for young people um so i've been politically active and and uh you know just a humanitarian since i was 15 because of that and and since then i've done you know lots of different work as well as um international work because I'm an ambassador for UNICEF. Um, so I've traveled the world and seen such uh, really, really devastating situations and circumstances yeah. that um, changed me on such a cellular level um, and things that you can't unsee. So, um, you know, I think all of all of that saved me, uh, but also a lot of hard work. Look, like anyone who goes through a, a, a different type of childhood, uh, there comes a point where you can either um, fight for uh, your own well-being and your own mental health, uh, or you're going to, you know, progressively spiral into a dark place. And when I started to spiral into dark places, I had such incredible support systems that. Um, you know that got me the right the right therapist the right you know mental health care and uh you know the only i say all the time the only way out was in and sort of you know dissecting all of that and trying to uh overcome it in a way that was uh conducive to growth and um positivity the only problem with having a conversation with you is your answers reveal so many different follow-up questions that I want to tackle because you've lived. I'm sorry. It's okay. I, I'll, I'll consider forgiving you, but I don't know what to follow <laughs> up with now. So. Oh, okay. Wait, what's in your heart? Okay. All right. My, in my heart is that you've, you've lived such a varied, impactful life. You've 
dipped your toe into so many things and then beyond that just had a great impact in so many things. So I'm, I'm curious what didn't work out. What is your biggest life regret or just one of the things you regret most? That is a great question. Thank you. Um, I think... I think one of my biggest regrets was not uh, doing more bef- more work on myself before my children were born. Mm. So when, after I had my son, who's nine, I had a really bad, bad case of um, postpartum anxiety. And it had nothing to do with, you know, being a parent. I think it had a lot to do with hormones, but but I think it had to do with so many of my unresolved issues and re- the realization of like the time that I could have worked on this and not influenced another human being with my weaknesses or the things that I I um, my faults um, was n- not now. Not now, because now I have to focus on this baby, and I think that that gave me a lot of um, a lot of heartache, really. And I think it's a common thing for women to go through, like n- the realization we are so conditioned to th- to think that giving birth is the is the end of the experience of being pregnant, but we're not conditioned to know that the giving birth is the beginning of the experience of being a parent. And so I prepared so much for pregnancy and I, I was so healthy and I did yoga and took naps and it was amazing. <laughs> and, then, and then I gave birth and I was like, I didn't prepare for this part of it. And for me, preparation of that part of it would have meant uh, dealing with shit before the shit hit the fan. So I think that that, that has been difficult. Um, Seems like you got it you know, I figured work, out. I, well, I work real hard at it. I, I work hard at it. And parenting is one of those things that you really – you get out of it what you put into it. And so I've I've worked hard on myself so that I'm able to, to give as much as I can so that I get out of it as much as I how can. You, and they're, how, they're sweet, good kids. How do you find the hours? Because I am struggling with whether or not I want children and – I just can't decide between obvious – I'm aware fully it would be the most rewarding, amazing thing in the world. I feel that for my dog. So imagine how I would feel for my right. child. Um, obviously, just a little bit less. But um, my – I just don't know how you the, – the biggest thing is hard for me to – not even beyond the time to wrap my head around is obviously the big shift when you have a child is you go from kind of being more selfish to being more selfless. But – how do you deal with really never having be, being able to prioritize your own desires first, kind of for the rest of your life, at least for eighteen years, but pretty much forever? I see my parents, and yeah, I don't, I don't see it like that. I think, I think, please prior- save me mentally. Prioritizing, then. I think prioritizing your life becomes important for your kids to see. It's important for them to see you continue to live your life and to strive for your dreams and your goals, and it teaches them work ethic. Um, but also, like you you said, it's you could see how it could be the most rewarding, amazing thing, but it's, it's also terrifying. Yeah. And that's the thing that a lot of parents don't really talk about. We have this romantic vision of being 
you know, image of of parenting that the media sort of played into of like the the beautiful newly mothered baby, you know, with the everything and her hair is perfectly done and she's on a white sheet and it's just not the the beginning is not like that at all. There's nothing sort of romantic about the first year of being a mother. At least it wasn't for me. I mean, that's how I would look, um, but you know, you do you. It's cool. <laughs> but I, you know, I st- I get asked this question a lot of like, how do you how do you find the balance? How do you balance it all out? First of all, I don't think men get asked that question. Mm-hmm. I'm appreciative that you want to know how y- how you could do it, and I'm not putting you in that ca- category of like because you're asking in a personal me, way, yeah. like how for, for, for yeah, the father for role, yeah. But so often women are, you know, especially women that work are asked like, how do you balance it all? Um, and we never ask d- dudes that question. We never ask guys that fathers that question where we're like, so how do you balance work and being a father? Mm-hmm. Right. It's just assume that you do it. So, I mean, my theory is and the thing that's worked for me and it's different for everyone um, is that you. I, I try to focus what's right in front of me in that moment to the best of my ability um, and schedule things in a way where I don't have to like keep switching hats. So if I'm, you know, if I have a morning of of activism Zooms or phone calls with different orgs or UNICEF or any of the organizations that I work with, you know, then I set I set entertainment conversations for like after lunch. And then if I'm planning on writing, because I'm in the middle of writing a, a book of essays, if, I, if, I'm, if I'm writing, I, d- I just schedule that, you know, for the morning and then I take a lunch break and then I schedule something for the afternoon. Um, you know, I always try to be done by, by five o'clock so I can be with my children and help with homework and make them dinner. Um, of course, that doesn't always work out. Uh, my my you know since I've been working for home from home the thing that's really been great is the kids have open access to my office you need me you come in but listen we're going to respect each other's privacy and mommy has to work and uh you and I've been on some that's made a some lot of great conversations and your kids have come in during them so I get it yes yeah <laughs> and and they're great they kind of look they look and they're like who is that and then they they go on their their business but it's important i think that they see their mom working and fulfilling my dreams um and uh you know doing as much as i can uh activism wise especially right now during this time you know i want them to see me doing this work right. i want them to see me making these phone calls about how how we can you know better get vaccines distributed to to people in the country or or globally i want them to see me doing that work does that help um, kind uh, of shut them up sometimes that they hear like yes we need to get the vaccines distributed better oh what is yeah, it you like, need more ya. milk you need more milk is that what it is <laughs> <laughs> how it goes they definitely down? they have definitely heard me say you need to count your blessings kid yes i get yeah. that with with uh, when it comes to parenting or life in general, does weed help you? Oh, for sure, <laughs> for sure. Gummies, gummies, gummies. I know you like gummies. Gummies, like a, a gummy and um, 
like a half a cocktail. I can't do a whole cocktail. It's too sweet. It upsets my tummy. But like if I sink it up just right uh-huh. where like the gummy hits at the same time I'm, you know, taking my first sip. It, it's a lot more fun. To <laughs> Do you ever actually smoke though? <laughs> smoke, smoke is what I was curious about. Just gummies or no, no, I don't. Why? I don't smoke weed because because I can't find something that. Well, first of all, we're in the middle of a pandemic that affects your lungs. Strong point. So hasn't stopped a, me, but strong point. But, but B, I've never found like anything. <laughs> this is going to sound so vain, but I've never found anything that I feel cool smoking out of. Oh, I got the solution for that. Like, like bongs are weird, mm. and then like all the vapes now—they're so ugly. There's that like 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 that skinny white one that looks like you're smoking like a a light day tampon. <laughs> it's just <laughs> better than a heavy day tampon to smoke out of, from my experience. It, it's just—I don't know. I just can't. I can't. So so the the gummy is the way. Fair enough. The way to go. I will give you my big secret though when it comes to looking cool smoking weed. It, and also just making it very portable. I've done this my whole stoner career is you just get one of those little porcelain uh, one hitters. It looks like a cigarette, but it's porcelain. And you carry a little bit of weed in a little Ziploc in your little pocket of your jeans. And you just pack a it's, little bit of it in and you look like I'm this. I'm sorry. It's, it's lame. You look cool. You look no. cool. Th- then you look like you're smoking a cigarette. And that's not cool either. That's a good point. Maybe if you just all say sweet, everybody. Okay. I, this is a bad you know suggestion. What? I, I have friends that can literally make smoking weed out of an apple look cool, which I don't know how they do it, but I'm like, ooh, that looks cool. But when I try it, it doesn't look cool. So you know what? I just stick with my gummies. Fair enough. By the way, it is all legal in California. I'm not breaking the law, mm-hmm. just so everyone knows who's watching, who's uh, probably going to use this interview against me <laughs> if I ever run for office. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, that's something that we have to get rid of. And I struggle with still sometimes, because as you know, I ran for office, but you, we have to get rid of the fear of what people are going to think if we then run for office, because you can't be free then. And that maybe is the one, that maybe is the one positive of the Trump administration is he's really removed anybody having the right to say anything about what you did yeah. and then disqualifying you for running for office. There's no yeah, disqualifiers anymore. Yeah. Yeah. So that is a nice positive. Uh, do you plan to run for office one day? Um, maybe I've always, I've always thought that it was, it would be an option when I, I wasn't booking acting roles anymore. Um, you know, especially since there just aren't a lot of great roles for women in their late forties in, in this business. So that's getting better and you're very talented though. So the roles may still come. So how are you going to make that decision if you're still getting the roles? Um, yeah, I don't know. I guess I'm just gonna. Here's the th- here's how I feel about it: is as as an actor, I'm I'm able to have the platform which sustains my activism, and so those things are are kind of symbiotic to me. So I'm gonna I'm gonna continue to pursue them both, um, and see where life takes me. You know, I think uh, I I've never been a, a big planner of of what comes next i just kind of take it day by day and see where i am i can tell you that i i don't find acting as rewarding as all the other stuff that i do so if i were to focus on the things that bring me true fulfillment then running for office would probably be um 
you know, a, a realistic move. Um, but I, I feel like I could get more done not running for yeah, office. That's what Cory Booker told me. And I could say me. shit at the you same. You can say yeah, shit. And I could say shit. You could even say worse words yeah. than that if you want. Cory Booker well, yeah, one but- time told me, "What you can." You don't, you don't enjoy cursing. We all enjoy cursing sometimes. Oh, I love cursing. Have, have you seen my tweets? Yes. Yes, indeed. So, yeah, Cory Booker said to me one time, he's like, As the reality of it is, it's, it's how broken our Congress is. As somebody in Congress, he said, you cannot very often be more more productive and effective as an, as an artist and activist. And that's generally the thing I agree with and follow, except when I and did I wrong. And I think we have to really... Uh, we are in a time where we have to applaud and recognize the grassworks, grass grassroots work Henry that's Quiet. going on throughout the country. Um, that is responsible for not only changing um, the way the country looks as far as the electric college, but also policy, driving policy change, and and so I. I have a a lot of respect for all of the work that organizers are doing on the ground, particularly uh, organizers of of color, black and brown organizi- organizers that are really um, doing the difficult work um, at changing the country. Uh, and I'm very grateful to that. How much do you think a game changer was the winning the two Senate seats in Georgia? I know you fought hard for that trying to get Ossoff and Warnock in office. I mean, I think it's huge. I think it's huge. Um, I I think the work, again, that gra- grassroots organizers did in Georgia was amazing. And I think that when you look at sort of the perfect scenario of a changing demographic, the, the other thing that we, that we have to acknowledge is the entertainment industry uh, shot a lot in Georgia. So mm. what that means was is that, you know, that was a changing demographic. We had more diversity that was coming in. Um, we we shot a lot of shows there. We you mean, people in, don't understand. Georgia yes, really did they a big called push. It the Hollywood the the Hollywood of the South, right. right? So there's Netflix is headquartered there and and we shot Insatiable there. That's how I got involved with Georgia politics and met Stacey Abrams and John Ossoff. And you know, when you looked at when you look at the years when, and by the way, Stacey Abrams was uh, very instrumental at bringing the entertainment industry into Georgia and offering such an incredible tax incentive. But when you do that, anytime you're bringing artists into a state and you're you're training people in um, a, a, an artistic uh profession you know you're you're unionizing your your transpo department and everyone is is collaborating together in an art in an artistic way that's going to change the day de- i mean look at what 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 austin texas once the music scene went in um how that demographic changed texas um and and Texas is legitimately purple. I think the difference is is that um, it happened a lot more gradually in Texas, so people could fight against it a little bit more. Whereas in Georgia, these these were really rapid rapid changes. And I think that you had the white excuse me white Republicans who were just grasping on to anything that they could hold on to to try to um, 
to uh you know keep the state red and i think eventually we we saw them do the right thing and i thought that that was that was great to see and set a really important precedent for republican um you know elected officials people that oversee elections secretaries of state governors uh and by the way governor kemp didn't has not always done the right thing mm. i mean he's you know stole the 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 gubernatorial election from stacy abrams yes he did so, yes he did you know, yeah. And just how many were just so, thrown off the rolls there, and then they try to spin it, make it seem like Stacey Abrams is the one who wasn't conceding. Well, it's because you weren't counting the votes properly. You weren't allowing right. people to vote. And so it's just the the ability of the right to twist facts and to present a reality that seems like an equally – that seems to so many like an equally valid yeah. opinion is the biggest problem I think facing our country and our world really, right? It's this post-truth era that we've entered into that we don't have an answer yet how to fix, which kind of leads me to my next question is while the, the plan, the, 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 the goal that Joe Biden has of unity and the big theme of his inauguration speech and his campaign, he's trying to, that's important. I know you and I both believe, I think you and I both believe that for unity to ever happen, you have to hold first accountable the people who fought hard to take, yes. break us apart. But I fear that Biden still is this old school guy who believes that it's possible to convince these Republicans to suddenly be moral people or be fair. And we're going to make a similar mistake to what we did in 2008 when Obama went in and tried, he kind of squandered a lot of his mandate by trying to work with both sides with people who won't do it. Like to me, like I know you're, you're pushing for Cruz, speaking of Texas and Holly to be removed from office as they should be. But how do we make it so that it becomes much more clear, much more stark how egregious these crimes are? To me, it's, it's analogous, like I said in my intro, to 9-11. We arrest easily without question all the people who stormed the Capitol that we can find, who broke something or grabbed something and stole something. But bin Laden didn't fly the planes. But he was the guy we had to take down because he, obviously the bigger crime is the person causing the call to action, riling up the insurrection. And we're still doing it where we we're just like, oh, maybe we should consider taking these people out of Congress, maybe censuring them, or maybe, whereas the people that just kind of followed orders are the ones who are in jail. Well, I mean, you just said a lot. Yeah. So I'll try to break it down a little bit. I do not believe that there can be reconciliation without accountability. And I think that that is really important. Um. And it's not only important for, you know, those of us who have been traumatized by the last five years, it's important for the democracy that there is accountability. And for a concept of right and remind, wrong. Yeah. But I also want to remind everybody of a few things, um, one of which is there are people in this country who – uh, can't put food on, food on the table. Mm -hmm. So many. There are 14 million children in this country that don't have enough food to eat. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's a great privilege to be able to discuss democracy and reconciliation and accountability, but not 
everyone in this country can can take that breath and say, you know what? I care about this stuff because they're too busy trying to get food on the table for their for their family. Eight out of ten people before the pandemic um, lived paycheck to paycheck, one one devastating life issue away from financial ruin. That was before the pandemic. I don't even know how to how to count that now. Well, now we got so, six hundred bucks divided over ten months, so we're good. Oh yeah, that's fine. No, so so it's crazy. So how do we not leave people behind in this conversation? Because when we leave people behind and have these conversations without them, they think that we're not working for them. Right. When we politicize these issues, like um, you know the issue of getting getting rent relief or student debt relief, when these become a right versus left issue. Um, then we're hurting the people that would actually benefit from that bipartisan cooperation. And I think it's really important. And I know it's hard because we've all been through a lot in the last five years, but it's really important to remember that people, people's lives depend on bipartisan cooperation. Right. That's it. That's exactly so, it. So we're going to have to try to figure it out. Whether we want to or not, we're going to have to try to at least – and I think that – look, Biden has a really, really progressive, um, badass team surrounding him. They're not going to let him uh, be wishy-washy about any of this. And I think that's why we are seeing so many executive orders signed in the first, I don't know, two weeks – um, you know, based on p- hurtful policy that that Trump signed. Um, but beyond that, uh, you know, I think Biden. The, I don't know if anyone else could have done this job but him at this point in history because of the fact that he is such, a, a, like, he is such a unifier. Mm-hmm. He is such a healer, and and if he's. If he lets everyone else make the decisions around him and he continues on this path of like we've got to reach over to the other side and he continues to nurture these relationships on the other side of the aisle, which he has always had good relationships, then I think we're going to be okay and I think we're going to get through this. But we have to try. We can't not try. We can't go, you know what? I'm never going to work with the other side. I'm just not going to work with the other side. True, but I think the 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 difference is I think we need – look, we're running out of time on a lot of these things, running out of time on the environment, running out of time on getting food on the table for people who are hungry right now. You can only you know survive so long without the food that you need and the nutrition that you need, and you, you fall victim to all kinds of things from COVID to any other sort of malnutrition and other diseases and other just vulnerabilities out in life. And so we need to finally, I think, put our – our foot down, put our line in the sand and say, we need to be bipartisan. We need to be unified, but not on morals. We need to finally take this unique moment in history to say good and bad are not the two sides that need to come together. Right and wrong can be objective. And this is the moment when people, this is the rare moment. It's the rock bottom that people need to hit to be able to finally have that realization and make change. This is the rock bottom, obviously. I mean, we're stuck in a lockdown forever. And so we need to put our foot in, in 
put our foot down and say, anyone who pushes anything that is against the best interests of the vast majority of people in this country can no longer be part of the discussion. So to me, the way you say that to the people that are food insecure or economically insecure and don't have the luxury of taking that breath, you say, here's why we must tackle this now. You'll never get these problems solved if we don't extricate from our discourse, from our lives, from our government, the people who keep fighting simply for power and more for the rich and more for themselves because they're the ones who are stopping a better minimum wage, better health care, better everything that you need to finally solve your life. Here's the problem, and this is what we have to overcome, is that we don't lead with our morals and our values. We lead with our politics. And that's too a problem wonky. We don't because play none emotion. of these issues, because none of these issues should be political. Right. None of these issues should be red or blue. These are human issues. And so if we can, if we can retrain ourselves to think of these issues or to message these issues right. or to change the narrative of these issues as not being political, but being human, mm-hmm. human issues. That, that will benefit everyone. Um, I think that, that we have a better chance of sustaining, uh, not only sustaining our, our democracy, but also really setting forth policy that will, uh, positive, positively impact people's lives. A hundred percent, because the other side. And, and we have to. That's what they're so good at. You know, Frank Luntz always talks about how Republicans use words that work and he's helped them do that. We need words that work. I mean, look at how much they've done the, 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 the Republican side of the aisle with abortion as a wedge issue. And we need to, and that's not even an issue that affects most people's day to day lives. So even if you're staunchly pro-life and thinking abortion's a terrible, terrible thing to ever do, we can say to them, Even if we were to agree with you on that, there's people that are dying now who are alive because of the policies of that side. So even if if, if you truly care about life, save the the living first. This we will put food on your table. We will get you health care. This many people won't die. That side won't. And I never hear Democrats speak that starkly. We always try to also be like hoity toity in our language, and it it squanders the fact that emotion is what people respond to because that's what their lives are. Our lives are emotion. Well, and if you look at the people throughout history who have changed the course of things, I mean, look at Ryan White. Mm-hmm. That's a 15-year-old boy who completely changed the way we look at HIV AIDS. And it's those emotional stories that connect with our hearts and our souls that I think create the change. I mean, if you if you look at um, Nelson Mandela in in South Africa, um, same type of, of, of thing. There are, there is so, so much to learn from these everyday people that do extraordinary things that evolve into leaders. And I think, you know, there are too many career politicians. I think we've got to figure out a way to get, you know, I think f- passing the for the people's Act is going or for the people act is going to make a HR one is going to make a big difference because mm-hmm. we'd be getting money um, out of politics. Uh, but I, th- I I think there should be term limits. I don't think that that politicians should be able to be career politicians. Of course, they learn how to game the system. Um, it's so stupid. 
the president should have a term well, limit, but they, you can't have a term limit in Congress. It's absurd. And they lose they lose sight of why they got into it in the first yeah. place, and it becomes so much about fundraising and all of this stuff. And 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 it, it we we've got to get back to the place where we are functioning uh, together for the betterment of of the people in this country. Um, and, 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 and I want to just say one thing about the abortion issue, which, um, that's sort of like a whole other conversation because that's bringing in the religious aspect of the right mm-hmm. wing. Um, I know really, really extraordinary people who vote Republican simply because they are so religious mm-hmm. that they are very um, anti-choice. And so that brings up a whole other, a, a, a whole other issue. But when we're talking about things like, you know, SNAP or the environment or, or, you know, getting AR-15s out of the, the hands of, of the wrong people. Um, why are we leading that with politics? We need, and I think, you know, that's why the March for Our Lives kids made such an impact because they went through it. They were young people who were passionate about it and people were touched, touched. Their soul, they they were forever changed by that experience. And there are people that may have been too young to have been changed by Sandy Hook, which is mm-hmm. what changed me. So I, I, I don't know. I think... There's a lot there's a lot to unpack here but I think the important thing that we must get back to and the reason why I I try so hard to to get people to talk to their family members that might have different perspectives political perspectives is that I I I don't know how we get help to people that need it the most if there is not bipartisan cooperation. And if we continue on with this business as usual with these these really calcified political views, um, it's not going to get done. Well, I think you do it by nuking the filibuster though. Mitch McConnell's never going to come on board suddenly. For sure. We got to we got to nuke the filibuster. I agree with that. We have totally. a majority in the Senate and we need to be able to just pass legislation and then we have to win the next elections and just not worry about this anymore. We- but that but that is that is wonky. That <clears throat> is a political issue. Yeah, but he can but do it like this. I mean, Schumer down- can do it like this if we if he has yes, the balls. But when you break down when you break down what that really is about, it's about the minority not listening to the majority. So if you took out the word filibuster and you took out all the wonkiness about it, you're basically saying, you know, those two senators that we work so hard to elect and that Georgia Georgians came out in record number to give us the majority. The minority is trying to overturn that again right. and therefore overturning the will of the people. Right. So that's that's, that's leading with value. If you need that's, healthcare fixed right now, and if you need that extra fourteen hundred dollar check right now, there's literally a rule that means that Mitch McConnell and his friends can read out the phone book and just run the clock out. And so, if you want to end that, just support ending that right now. You frame it in real terms. That's right. You frame it in real terms. It's not about McConnell. It's not about. Any of that. It's about the minority trying to overturn the will of the people and 
the will of the people elected John Ossoff and and Raphael Warnock to to do to to set forth democratic policy, meaning, you know, raising the minimum wage, health care, expanding the ACA, uh, you know, relief on student debt, uh, all of those things that we consider to be so progressive. Mm -hmm. Just things that will help people in need. A lot of it. A lot of is a lot of progressive policy passed on a state level, um, which means that people are not people are okay to to vote for progressive policy. Hundred percent. So that's the thing. I mean, Richard Green, our friend, talks about this a lot. You know, about you know, towards the end of the election, he and I, I, I helped him with what he wrote his ebook about the the twelve. I think it was. Bills that the House had already passed that the vast majority, a super majority of the country supports, but that they couldn't pass because yep. of McConnell being able to stymie everything in the Senate. But all of those things, most of us agree with getting money out of politics, making sure that we are all able to vote, make sure people are not discriminated against, making sure that we have passing the Equal Rights right. Amendment so that women have protections in the Constitution. Right, something that's been done so long ago. And we all support that. So it is just about that framing. I know right now you're pushing for four big pieces of legislation. Can you talk for a second about them? I have them written down here if you want me to tick them off and you can say sure. a few words. So sure. the John Lewis sure. Voting Rights Advancement Act. Can you tell us what that is, why that's important? Well, we've seen voter suppression in black and brown communities, and we need to reinstall the, the Voting Act and actually make it stronger and and uh more complete just no loopholes we gotta get rid of loopholes and something we all believe in gotta gotta get rid of loopholes but i think you know at the foundation of uh every democracy is that everyone gets equal access to the voting polls and that we have fair and safe elections um and that we are not redlining or gerrymandering sorry that we're not gerrymandering that we're not um uh, you know, hiding yeah, not carving uh, districts around and black people. Or cl- exactly. Right. Closing polling locations, all of those things that are so incredibly And again, important. that's obviously good over evil. That's literally good people want all of their fellow citizens to vote. Bad people are trying to not let you have your voice be heard. That's stark. That's easy. That's right. The next one. Easy. Very easy. The, 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 the next one here, the Anti-Racism and Public Health Act. Yeah. Well, that is about... Uh, exploring and um, educating ourselves and investigating what racism, how racism is a threat to our public health and safety. Yeah, seems like what's the what's the negative? No brainer. What's the negative there? The, the exactly. And by the way, it's never been done before. Mm-hmm. And racism affects all of these things. Any systemic injustice that makes one group of people have more access oh. to the things that make them thrive and live than the other is obviously something that needs to be corrected to any good person. Wait. So, I mean, let's talk about what it it the 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 public health situations that it does impact. I mean, environmental justice, we've got to stop dumping uh, hazardous waste or not taking care of our black and brown communities um, to the extent that it makes them sick. Mm. Uh, you know, we have to take better care of our infrastructure, um, meaning making our water safe because not everyone can afford to buy bottled yeah. 
water. Flint and many other places um, that have lead in the water. And, and many other places. But also, you know, all of these things intersect. All of these things intersect in a way that is, you know, and we are seeing our our own weaknesses within this pandemic. Um, and and w- we cannot ignore them anymore. I mean, just the injustices in our healthcare system, in in how you know we medically look at Black and Brown people, um, the opportunity they have to just be healthy. I mean, there's food deserts throughout this country where where Black and Brown communities don't have access to to healthy food. Uh, you know, fresh produce, mm-hmm. and they have to go to Seven Eleven for a banana. Yeah. Um, where there are no supermarkets. Imagine that. No supermarkets wow. in a community to buy fresh produce. In in Flint, Michigan, because I've done some work in Flint um, after the water crisis, doctors had to prescribe vegetables <sighs> so that they – so that children could get vegetables. So they had to write a prescription wow. through SNAP. In order to get – and the only thing that helps to combat lead poisoning is nutrition. So it's we, – we need to research and figure out um, what systemic racism uh, means to public health and how we overcome and that. And of course they still couldn't get vegetables because nobody can read doctor's handwriting. So it's a <laughs> real problem. Um, exactly. The Breathe Act. Yeah, I mean the Breathe Act basically divests taxpayer dollars from um brutal and discriminatory policing and then invests in a new vision of public safety. Um yeah, and that and transforms is, the know, nation's justice system really. Gets rid of life sentences. Gets rid of these rid lifelong of drug crimes. Shuts down federal agencies that are just perpetuating that. Gets rid of cash bail. Closes these poor profit yep. prisons. A lot of very – which is very tied into the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act, which is the fourth of those. And basically the premise, correct me if I'm wrong, is about just rethinking how we hold police accountable and trying to figure out the best way to train and retrain officers and make sure they face prosecution and don't have immunity from obvious egregious breaches of their oath to protect and serve. Just obvious things. That's exactly right. And here's my here's my big issue. If black people are going to continue to rescue this democracy as they have over decades and decades and throughout history over and over again. We need to pass legislation that is going to protect and lift up our black and brown communities. Yeah. Um, I believe in reparations. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that that's an incredibly important thing. Congresswoman Lee has a really incredible um, – she wants to – I'm going to just look it up Please. so I don't get it wrong. Racial. Here it is. Congresswoman Lee proposes Racial Healing and Truth Commission. So basically it would be a commission that actually, again, really looks into um, and investigates through through a commission – uh, the systemic racism in this country and tries to figure out how to overcome it and whether 
reparations should be involved uh, and how how we make our country more fair and equitable. And a commission, so, uh, that's an easy ask. It's not even it's a commission. the, leg- it's not, we're not not the legislation, we're not right. De- Alyssa, so, quick note. So I, an- I just really believe that, that we – uh, what we continue to do and, and, and we can't do it anymore is we depend so much on the black vote. Um, and then we just forget about it until it's time to go into these communities mm-hmm. to, um, to campaign again for another election. And, and they, we need to, we need to support each other. We need to, um, amplify the needs and voices of our black leaders and support in any way we can. 100%. Alyssa, very unrelated question. Did a train just get released inside your studio there? There's some kind of noise in the background that just started very, maybe air conditioning or something, possibly? No, I mean, my fan's been on the whole time. Something just kicked on, but it's fine. We will live through it because we... Oh, I'm sorry. It's okay. No problem. It's now quieting down a little bit. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, okay. So there's so much. Okay. We only have a a little bit of time left here together. I want to just run through, get your quick thoughts on some of the things that happened during these last two weeks. So we didn't do an episode last week. So Trump impeached a second time. His trial in the Senate starts in two weeks and it's the first time a a non-sitting president will ever be put on an impeachment trial. Do you believe that we need to convict and and punish him and then vote that he can never run again? Or will this martyr him and make him even more of a QAnon hero? Does it begin in two weeks? I believe it begins in two Does weeks. Does it begin in t- – They're taking a Look two – No, no, it is. It is. It is. It is? They just – They're, um, they're, they're yes, presenting the one be- article and they're taking two weeks to prepare their cases. That's what apparently the deal is. I do believe he should be convicted. Um, I believe that we will have more Republicans on board this time. Um, I think, uh, it's, you know, I I actually, I went to DC for the first impeachment trial. I actually sat in that room. I love that you go and sit in the room for these things. Kavanaugh, you were in the room. You want to make your presence known that you're putting your weight behind these things. Yeah. And I feel like, I don't know. I feel like you got to be boots on the ground to, to really experience something. And I think that we can all read about it, but to actually have a, a, a cellular experience mm-hmm. of, of being in the room mm-hmm. means that you could talk about it more passionately and in a more personal way. Yes. Um, Happy and so, yes, I, I believe he should never be able to run for office again. I believe that he should not. We should not, as taxpayers, pay for his security for the rest of his life and all that nonsense. So I do believe that um, he should be convicted. I agree. I agree. Even if it does divide some people, we need to affirm that lineup we talked about of right and wrong. We need to not allow the normalization of incredibly evil behavior. Um, Happy Fauci. What has this been like seeing happy, free Anthony Fauci? I mean, you know, I I was one of the first that had the Fouch on the couch pillow, <laughs> which I just I just auctioned off. I had a pillow in my office of Anthony Fauci's face, kind of an elf on a shelf situation. Uh, yes, exactly. Uh, but yeah, no, I you know I think that that was probably a very very frustrating time for him to be 
you know, going through this pandemic and and be silenced the way he was. Um, I am a little disappointed that he wasn't uh, willing during the Trump administration to say what he needed to say to get the country to take it more seriously yeah. and allowed them to yeah. set the tone in the narrative so much. I know. But um, I do love him and I think he's a, a very a kind, smart man. And as someone that remembers his work uh, with with HIV AIDS, um, I'm glad that he is fully on board and, and ready to, to uh, you know, to 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 do the the hard work. It's a very tough line he had to to follow there because I agree. Like my heart wanted him to be like, "Oh, fuck you! This is not accurate. This is not. You can't swallow bleach. You have to wear a mask. Do this." But at the same time, I always looked with disdain at a lot of the people who, when they would get to a point, a breaking point with Trump, and they would just resign. I don't let people resign. You're in power right now. You can still influence it a little bit more. How about just stick it through and try your best to fix it? So. I think he also had to walk that line of know. not getting I fired. Even, I didn't even need it to be that formal for him. I just wish he'd like go on Instagram live and be like, okay, listen, right. here's the deal. Right, right. You know, it's it's not like we're in the time where he had to have, you know, that airtime on CNN or or Fox News to make his voice heard. I mean, we, we all have platforms. We can all take responsible steps yeah. to uh, to lead in a way that is not going to, you know, uh, hurt the country. So, yeah, I was disappointed in that part, but I'm glad I'm glad he's he's back. And um, who knew he had dimples? <laughs> and apparently Trump is fuming at him, calling him an idiot and saying he should have fired him a long time ago. And Trump's doing this thing. But at least we don't hear it easily, which is the best thing. The NRA has yeah. filed for bankruptcy in the last two weeks. Pretty, well, you know what? I just think that means that they're they get to hide money and 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 start over. Yeah, um, true. I don't, but it's they're not gonna they're not gonna go away. And I don't think it's as huge as people think really? it is. Uh, the gun lobby is bigger than the NRA, and right. uh, yeah, and file filing for bankruptcy is just you know a way to um, to not have to pay off your debt. It doesn't mean you're done. Yeah, that's true. That is true. Harmful. Damn it, I wanted it to be more of a big thing, but that's fair. They also moved to Texas, a better home for gun lovers than New York. Well, that's what I'm saying. It's like, oh, really? They filed for bankruptcy and then they moved to Texas? Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> true. Fair point. Um, okay, so I have, I have one last question for you, and then we'll, we're going to quickly, for our last 10 minutes together, uh, uh, bang through Twitter answers and some fun with the Thunder Round. So uh, my last question for you is, You've had me on your podcast, Sorry Not Sorry, twice, and it means so much to me that you did that, but especially the first time when you had me on when I told you I was running for president. Why did you have me on? Because so few people gave me that platform and gave me a chance to speak and have an outside voice heard. Why did you do it? You reached out to me well, and asked me. I just thought that it was a it was an important you were an important voice to have in the mix. Because you were, you know, a civilian basically mm. that didn't have any political background, but was clearly um, educated on the issues, and and your heart was in the right place. And um, I didn't think it was fair that you weren't getting uh, your shot. Um, so, you know, anytime I can share my my platform with people that I admire and respect, uh, I consider it a blessing. 
Thank you, Alyssa. And you guys have to subscribe to Sorry Not Sorry. It's an incredible podcast. It's like it's like serial style produced beautifully with music and clips, and it's just much better than this podcast. So if you oh. like this one, definitely <laughs> check you. that one out. Um, and Thank on that you. note, it is time to check in with the Brain Trust, the Glebe of Extraordinary Gentlemen, the Big Glebers in all of us, the Mad Ones, the Friends with Benefits. It is time for Twitter Answers. <laughs> Okay, Alyssa, I asked our listeners, the Brain Trust, what is something silly or unimportant that you regret? Kayla Gibson says, not having enough rupees to ride a camel when I was in India. You're going to be in India. I think you got to take that camel ride. Have you ever ridden on a camel? I have never ridden on a camel. I've um, done it. And I have been to India with, with UNICEF. Okay. I was in India six months after the tsunami. Oh, wow. Um, to see the... Yeah, to see the rebuilding of, of the villages that were impacted by the tsunami. You didn't have time for so. a camel ride that, that trip. I get it. I, I don't know. I, I don't know if I'd do it. Really? I feel like as, you know, an activist that has to include animal rights. Yes, but there... do you ride horses ever? I do. I have horses. What's the difference? Um, it's a good question. Thank you. I don't know. I think I think I've just won that argument. <laughs> I was raised I was raised around horses. I wasn't <laughs> raised around camels. I mean, camels don't run as fast, but they seem to enjoy being ridden. And I feel like they're. I, I feel like God created horses as the perfect creature that, with humans, they can be ridden and take us fast and help us travel. Camels, same thing. They can carry the weight. They can carry the bags. They can help you move your stuff yeah. through a desert. I feel like they don't mind being ridden. Okay. <laughs> Let's ask, ask a camel. <laughs> Sounds like a plan. I did. I just got spit in the face. Clara at the other bill says, I regret actually paying 135 bucks for a ticket to Woodstock 94 when three quarters of a million people waltz through the main gate. I did not. I did not go to Woodstock 94, but my parents were at the, the original. original Whoa, that's cool. Together. Whoa, that's cool. Together. Is that when you and were conceived at Woodstock? Say, no, I wish that would have been a good story. But my mother does love to say they kept announcing not to take the brown acid. <laughs> I was like, okay, mom. Did you take it? <laughs> I, she, she's never told me. <laughs> nice. What's your she's favorite concert you've ever been to in your life? And what's your favorite band or Ooh, musician? That's a good question. Thank you. I once saw, um, well, a couple. What I, I saw Beastie Boys and Run DMC together. Ooh, that's good. When I was like a teenager, and that was amazing. And then I saw um, Pearl Jam and Nirvana Ooh, together, damn. and that was an incredible show. You um, two, Joshua Tree, <sighs> was an incredible show. Those are good ones. Um, I love Sufjan Stevens. Seeing him live, uh, I just saw. Well, before the pandemic, I saw um, Ringo Starr and his. And his all-star band, I think it's called. Mm -hmm. um, and then right before that, I saw Paul McCartney, which was also very cool. All of that, except for the um, Ringo one, sound amazing. No, the Ringo one was amazing. Really? Because he had all the best, all the best musicians in the band with him, but from different. He had like a guy from Toto, um, the lead singer from Men at Work. So, so they all played. You know those bands' hits, but with Ringo playing the drums. Oh, that's fun. Was, oh, that's fun. Was, yeah. Okay. I'll, it was really good. I'll take that. 
Um, what do you have against Ringo Starr? I like Ringo. I'm just saying he's, you know, he's not the great Beatle, and his voice is strange. He has a weird singing voice. All the Beatles are great. Yeah, that's a good, yeah. All right, fair enough. He's only one of two we got left, so I, we have to embrace him. I like Ringo. The Beatles are my favorite band of all time, so I, I, should, I take back my Ringo hate. I'm sorry. So who is your favorite Beatle? Paul McCartney, easy. Really? Oh, yeah. I love Paul McCartney so much, and... The show I created, the the live comedy brand many, many years ago, Comedy Juice, I was usually there, and I was on the road once, and then when I was on the road, Paul McCartney came to our show and took pictures with the comics in the bathroom, was joking around, being silly, and came twice, and I missed both. So, Oh, my god! But I did get drunk with Bono once in Mexico, so that was pretty fun. That's cool. That was really fun. Who hasn't been drunk with Bono, though? (laughs) That is maybe the least relatable thing we have said in this podcast, for sure. (laughs) Have you been drunk with Bono? Uh, I think so, yeah. Wow. Where? What part of the world? Yeah. Uh, in LA. That's cool. At the, the, one of the, I think the Sunset Marquee Hotel. He's a fun drunk. He's like a much funnier person than I expected. He's very funny. Yeah, he's funny. Yeah. Kind of blew my mind. And our last Twitter answer here, at Someday Dead PC says, I regret not honoring Taco Tuesday much earlier in life. Do you honor Taco Tuesday? Do you... Do you eat? We do every Tuesday. Every Tuesday, really? Yep. Oh, that's cool. And we get the we get the taco bowls. Mm, you see yeah. those? Not like the tostada yeah, bowls. Just a regular like bowl. You little... don't eat the bowl. No, you do eat. What? The yeah. That's a, it's. A, I'm going to send you the link. It's a tostada. It's gonna change your life. It's a flour. Yeah. It's a flour tortilla bowl. Yeah. So, so you don't have to wrap it. Mm-hmm. You just put the stuff in the, the little bowl. And you could do it like that. What makes that not it's a tostada? So oh, it's still kind of a taco. It's it's flour tortilla, right? Oh, Where flour tortilla. More... Oh, I see. Yeah. So it's flour tortilla taco style, but bigger and bowlier, rounder. Yeah. I love the racket thing. of Mexican food. How it's the same four ingredients, and there's three hundred items, and somehow we're like, I don't know what to get. It's all the same. It's beans, <laughs> cheese, it's so good, salsa, tomatoes, and it's lettuce. So good. It's all. It's my favorite food. It's so it's good. So it's good. very, very tasty. Um, before we do a quick two story thunder round, uh, any plugs? Anything you'd like to share with the good people who have listened to this very interesting conversation? I hope interesting. I I think it's a fact. Um, well, first of all, thank you for having of me. Course. And I appreciate this conversation so much. Thanks for and, doing it. And I appreciate you so much and your thoughtfulness. Ditto. Uh, no, ju- I mean, just just the podcast. I'd love for people to um, to subscribe to Sorry, Not Sorry, available anywhere you get your podcast. I'm about to start work on a movie called uh, Brazen Virtue for Netflix, but that hasn't really been announced yet. Ooh, so We got an exclusive um, announcement yeah, here. so that's exciting. Love but that. But I... Uh, I start in February, what, so what role that's great. And we're we're um, I'm playing a, a writer, mystery writer. Oh, that's fun. Uh huh. You've done a lot of writing, but have uh, you ever written mystery? Has, do you have any life experience for this? I haven't. No, I haven't. I'd like to write mystery. Um, I have. You know, we're we're still actively developing the Who's the Boss sequel, which is very exciting. So with, exciting with me and. With me and, and Tony, and that has been uh, great, Angela. but not not much, not much of an update there, except that we um, are actively developing now. How so that's awesome! That's awesome! That's really damn cool! Yeah, I love that. Um, and uh, now it is time 
for the thunder round. Because you can't hear lightning. Okay, Alyssa Milano, we have two stories here to take things home in a big, big way. One, Jake Angeli, the horned man who stormed the Capitol, was refusing to eat food in prison because he's an organic diet guy and they wouldn't give him food. Then they ended up caving in and giving him organic food. Right decision or wrong decision? Wait, so he's not even a vegetarian? He just, just doesn't organic. eat anything that's just he, not yeah. organic? Yeah. organic. Traitor to I the mean, country. And they gave, they gave it and to they him. And they gave that to he him? He wasn't eating for like three, four days, and then they decided to give him organic food in prison. Oh, I can't. I can't. Nuts, right? I can't. I can't even <laughs> I can't even go. I can't wrap my head around it. I can't even comment. I think they should have, even if he was vegetarian, made him eat meat. I mean, this is not a time for politeness. Well, and my my thought is is just the injustice that that goes on and the hypocrisy between you know the the people that are in prison or incarcerated that um you know have have done less mm. of of a crime than storming the capital and you know treasonous behavior and so it's just unbelievable to me that they actually gave in to that. Every person now that gets arrested should just say, I need organic. Yeah. My kids don't even say that to me. <laughs> and our last story, confused Americans think the rioter who stole the podium from U.S. Capitol's name is Via Getty because of a post from Ryan Lizza where he said terrorist, comma, via Getty, comma, one of the terrorists steals a podium. And it's a picture of the guy stealing the podium. <laughs> and people are like, this via Getty guy needs to go down. This is ridiculous. Or via Getty's a hero. Uh, and it was via Getty images? It was via Getty images. That is correct. Oh, my God. That's amazing. It's pretty amazing. Um, How stupid are people? Can we get dumber? Is part of the problem we just have far too many stupid people? I think that is very much the case. I don't like that word. I don't like those words. Those are the curse words in my family. Really? Saying stupid? Like my kid. Yeah. Well, I'm the host of idiot test, so I have to call people idiots when I see I it. I don't like any of those words. <laughs> I don't like any of those words. Idiot, dumb, stupid. Those are the bad words in my family. Like, How do you refer to idiots? curse words. <laughs> what? <laughs> How do you refer to idiots then? <laughs> um, I don't. I don't. Um, the curse words in my family are those words, not like shit and fuck and those, so your kids can say shit and fuck words. as long as they don't judge people on their intelligence. No, they can't. They can't say that because they have to be old enough to shave to say that. Those are the rules. Oh, interesting. Um, uh, I made those rules, but then I f forgot that we're my husband and I are Italian, so it probably means they're going to both start shaving at a fairly young age. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. But also, just in yeah. in defense of calling people idiots, if I may, for a second. I don't mean the term as an insult to somebody's intellectual capacity. I mean it as as somebody who d who chooses voluntarily actions that are idiotic. People that support the wrong side of causes. People that fight against progress. People that try to disrupt the social order just to be a dick. Can you say dick? Dicks are dicks, and those are idiots. My 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 problem with it is being someone that that has a learning difference. Um, I felt. Like, not that anyone ever called me stupid, but I felt like that could 
would really hurt if they did because I had struggled as a young person to uh, learn to to read and to read aloud. So um, those are just the hurtful words. And yes, in- but in my opinion, you just flip that by looking at them because I was bullied a lot as a kid too, and you flip that by just saying, "Ah." Uh, this is something that my brain does weird that I'm trying to figure out how to, how to, how to, how to, how to work. You're stupid for making fun of it. You're the stupid person. Stupid is in the actions that are controllable. They're voluntary. Can you please just beep out stupid? Just beep out stupid like it's a, <laughs> like it's a curse word. <laughs> if I had that kind of editing capability, <laughs> I would have the sorry, not sorry podcast. We would be on the top of the charts. We're, 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 we're getting back. This podcast episode will help us get there. Um, I will leave you all with this great tweet from Brian Floyd about the Via Getty story, where he replied saying, we need to immediately arrest Via Getty and his accomplices via Reuters and via AP. <laughs> <laughs> Alyssa, you are the best. Really Thank you so much for doing You're this. The best. It's my pleasure. I love you. Take care. Thank you for having me. I love you too. And when society returns to normal, double date very soon. Let's do it. All right. Sounds good. I'm into it. I love it. Let me end this thing. Oh, by the way, I should end it by the way I've always done it for 11 years. Until last week, next week, this has been Last Week on Earth. Last Week on Earth.